Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and happy new year. Welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favorite football podcast back for 2024. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Happy new year, Rank Squad. We're back for another year of Ranks. How many years have we been going now? It's been a fair few, mate, isn't it? Four, well, five? We started in 2020. Well, we started Ranks in 2020, but obviously BR football Ranks began at the start of 2019. So, this is a, we'll be entering our fifth year or wow. fifth season of podcasting together. They said we wouldn't last one year, mate, didn't they? All the critics. We've absolutely Harry Kane them. <laughs> one season wonder ranks oh, has lasted. Yeah. Stunned the distance. Going. Thanks for listening, everyone, for four or five years or two weeks, whatever it is that you've been coming back to the show. Um, and tell your friends about it so they get involved too. We've got a big year of football coming up and a great second half of the season. And I think that is something that will be addressed across the course of this show. And it's a Jack Collins ranking today. Yeah, rare. Rare. Very we rare. thought we'd start 2024 on a, on a bang. We're going to be talking about the <laughs> a teams. A bang or a low note. <laughs> well, we'll see how we go. We're uh, <laughs> talking about the teams who were top of their respective divisions or are top at the turn of the year and how likely they are to go on and lift the title. We'll be talking about all of Europe's top seven leagues and giving each current league leader a percentage chance of how likely I think they are to go on and lift the trophy. So stick around. We'll be doing that in part two. But in part one, Dean, normally we do things we love here, but the hottest story on the block right now is that Wayne Rooney has been sacked as Birmingham City manager. He hasn't lasted very long. It has not been a success, this. Birmingham have gone from fifth to the skirts of the relegation zone in the time that he's been in charge. 13 weeks. Rooney's come out and said, I don't think 13 weeks is long enough to make the changes necessary. That did make me laugh in that <laughs> the changes necessary were what? Taking him away from being in the playoff places. Taking him to League One. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if he was trying to make that change, but he might have been succeeding if that was actually the stated aim. It's a bizarre story. And when it happened at first, we spoke about it and thought that it was a pretty weird manoeuvre. You can understand the logistics of the ownership trying to get in big names and attract stories and headlines to the club and maybe you know better players or, or players who are looking to work under a manager of that kind of repute from his playing days. But it's been an absolute disaster on the pitch. Has, yeah. And I've just seen that the BBC had a bit of a disaster with it too because they tweeted to announce it. 
by order of the Peaky Blinders, uh, Wayne Rooney has been sacked by Birmingham City and Gary Lineker was like, delete this. <laughs> I think they have. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's having an absolute nightmare. Gary Lineker going to war with his own employers over like a jokey tweet <laughs> is pretty weird. It's like maybe he's also head of social media. I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly what his job title is there as, as match of the day uh, head presenter. But um yeah, I mean, Wazza uh, might not be cut out for this after all. Remember when he was Derby manager and he kept him afloat for a bit, didn't he? And then he still got the plenty of plaudits um, when things went wrong at Derby and then obviously ends up going over to MLS. I think because he was out of the spotlight generally from like European football, no one really paid too much attention to how that actually went. If anyone was paying attention, I don't think people would have been rushing to give him managerial roles. No, you wouldn't have thought so. And you think, oh, we can get Wayne Rooney as our manager. That sounds good. He was a great player. Uh, yeah, let's give him a go. And it's just got worse and worse and worse. And Rooney, sat there. well, he gave his last interview. I watched his interview yesterday that he gave uh, after, I presume it was after the Leeds defeat. And he was just like, mate, no emotion in it at all. Just... If I was a Birmingham fan watching that interview, I'd have been so angry. I mean, their fans haven't really wanted him there all along, I don't think, but certainly not recently. Um, but the thing I love, mate, about all of this is that the, in the immediate aftermath of it, um, the big story is uh, where does Rooney go next then? What's his next club? And uh, the, the five jobs that I'm seeing mentioned here, like where could Rooney go next? It's like, okay, well, he could go to Salford, which is obviously the team that is run by uh, his mates like Beckham and, and Gary Neville. And They've co. just sacked their manager as well. Yeah, so Salford City. I mean, look, maybe, maybe that is his level. Like maybe that. You know what? I, I actually think as as you know, decisions and, and options go, that's not the worst shout. Salford are a bit of a basket case club because yeah. obviously they have you know quite a lot of financial advantages and. Actually, given the level they've been playing at and the players that they've had playing for them, you would have expected them to have done better over the last few years. But it's quite a difficult balance to strike when obviously there are names in there who are, you know, at that level are household names. But mm. the real stars of the show are the ownership, which is a bit of a strange place to be. So I wonder if actually that might work. It, it's all a little bit TV cliches, but I don't think that's the weirdest move in the world. And actually, it might be somewhere where he could use that reputation to actually encourage players to, to buy in in a way that they just didn't seem to at Birmingham. I mean, look, they would have seen John Eustace coaching. And look, John Eustace's CV isn't highly, highly decorated. He's done a good job coaching wherever he's been. He was part of a lot of different setups. He was originally part of Stephen Kenny's setup when he was with the youth teams in Ireland, moved into the senior team, moved out of that quite quickly before you know taking the Birmingham job but actually I think at QPR as well he was quite highly regarded as a coach mm. I think the difference here is that we're seeing a coach taken out who the players are clearly bought into last season and then at the start of this season and what they've seen from bringing in a big name as a manager instead of a coach is that that drop-off has been pretty extreme yeah I'd, I'd say exactly that mate um and that's it isn't it it's about coaching like some it's, you can't just have a name and expect that it, it's going to work you need a philosophy you need a reputation of working with that philosophy you need players that have bought into it you need the coaching staff around you that are gonna um bring it all to light I mean it was this was supposed to be the well they call it the no fear football uh that they wanted to bring into Birmingham and uh, Rooney had no fear. Um, he just stood there and watched him collapse around him, which certainly was not what I was expecting when it first came along. But um, it was pretty much what I was expecting. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I watched his DC United team; they weren't very good. You know yeah. that Derby side at the time had a lot of players, and obviously the Derby situation is particularly unique in that it's fallen apart financially, and the club are now struggling and in League One. So. That's not all his fault, and there are plenty of this. But I would say that maybe this is a slight embodiment of the fact that this generation of players who were once lauded as England's golden generation, very few of them have been able to make things stick as managers. Yeah. Lampard, Gerard, Rooney now. You're looking at it and going, who's really gone on and, and kicked on? And there is a little bit 
of a sense, I think, that, you know, these names are given more priority than they perhaps would be elsewhere in the world and without any sort of real managerial credence to back it up. And it's proven that Stephen Gerrard's having a terrible time in Saudi Arabia with Al Etifak, who are, are really struggling in the league over there. It's not been a good period for any of these guys. And I do think that when you look at the coaches who do, you know, break through and uh, are wanted on the continent, people are given more of an opportunity to actually coach. And people do the hard yards. Look at Xabi Alonso. It's the example I always bring up. But he obviously stuck around. He was in the Real Madrid real youth setups, the under-14s and whatnot. Went to Real Sociedad B, had offers and said, no, I want to learn my trade first and, and do the hard yards. Went to Bayer Leverkusen when he felt the opportunity was correct, not because he was like, this is a big name, I have to take it. And has now got them playing some of the best football in Europe. And now he is wanted by these top clubs. Earn your stripes. And mm. it's such a thing that seems to skip people by here in terms of what they're learning and what they're doing as young coaches. You need to go and get that experience and learn that trade. If you do it when you're a player, someone like Ilkay Gundogan, for example, he's spoken loads about the fact that he sees himself as a manager. He has spent time working with Pep, even when he was a player, kind of working that transition period. You'd imagine he's probably doing something similar a la Masia. Mm. That's how you start to get yourself into the grooves of understanding what it takes to be a coach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when I talked about, you know, some of the other jobs he's been linked to, I'll just rattle the other four off that I'm seeing mentioned and you can tell me whether any of them are feasible. England, Man United, <laughs> Inter Miami, and just a club in the Saudi Pro League. What do you reckon? I just, I don't understand. I mean, someone will employ him because this is what happens. It's wasn't. But... I do think that this is the this is all part of the problem. Why on earth? What has Wayne Rooney done in any of this managerial career that would suggest that Manchester United should have a pop at him? Like, if Fulham appointed him, I'd be fuming. Like, absolutely livid. If I supported a club who were in the championship after seeing what he's done there at Birmingham, I would be fuming if they appointed Wayne Rooney. Someone needs to get hold of everyone and be like, look, go and learn... You go, go and earn your badges properly. Go and learn under other coaches. Go and do that assistant manager role. And it takes us back quite nicely to Eustace, right? Who wasn't the name that this Birmingham side wanted or the Birmingham management wanted because it's not a sexy name in the world of football. But he's done, what, four stints as an assistant manager before taking on the Birmingham job? He's learned his trade under different coaching setups and systems. He's learned what he likes and what he doesn't like. And he had Birmingham, all right, it wasn't all that pleasing on the eye all the time. But his non-league side that he managed for a while were brilliant fun to watch. He's experimented with different techniques to try and, you know, and, and systems to try and make things work. That's it. That's the hard yards where mm. you earn your stripes and learn what you do in these situations. That is the complete antithesis of whatever Birmingham have just done. And look, this isn't the first time Birmingham have done this. And I don't know for sure. And I wouldn't put it on them as a management that it's the same management company. I don't think it is. But Birmingham have actually done this exact thing before. They had Gary Rowett in charge. He'd taken them to seventh in the league the year before. And then he was sacked for Gianfranco Zola, who nearly got them relegated. It's, yeah. it's like history is repeating itself. You must be absolutely losing your marbles if you're a Birmingham City fan. Yeah. Do you know what, too? Like, Rooney's 38. It's too young. He's got time on his side. Yeah, but it's just like, in any line of work, to be a manager... Like, I take... don't necessarily buy that it's too young. I just think that he was what play... he was still playing at thirty four. I I think like there's so much you still don't know about people about how to deal with scenario. And I know he's been in football dressing rooms for like twenty two years. I get that, but that doesn't mean he knows how to manage the situations because that's something that comes with maturity. And look, I wouldn't have Wayne Rooney down as a particularly mature person, to be honest. Like, in fact, I've met Rooney like a number of times. And like what always struck me about interviewing him, there was one time, uh, an England thing, and I, I spent a bit of time with him and his family and his kids were there and stuff. And like, he was such a quiet, shy person. Like when you were around him, like shy is probably the wrong word, but he was Unassuming, just, perhaps. Yeah, he was. And I always found it quite surprising because on the pitch, he was so different to that. And I 
I wonder what he's like around the players because, you know, that confrontational Rooney that we used to see on the pitch, you know, and as a captain, sure, because he, he could have been good because he was a leader on the pitch. He leads by example and stuff, but he can't lead by example anymore. And one of the problems of being a great player is that you have to adapt. You have to adapt and you have to accept that the players you manage aren't going to be as good as you were. And I think a lot of managers have found that difficult in the past. And so if that's one of the struggles for Rooney, that wouldn't be the first example of this happening. But this is a, it was a literal child prodigy that actually fulfilled his potential, which is extremely rare. Yeah. Right. I've hardly ever seen this happen to someone to come through at 16 and then have the career he did. So to now be a manager at 38, have barely had a second out of the game, I just feel like he probably, like you say, like could have just done with stepping back into another role and just like seeing how things actually work and what will work for you. So we'll see, mate. We'll see where he lands because he's going to go somewhere. We will. We will. The uh, the next job will be one to keep an eye on. Uh, with that, I think it's probably time for us to end this first segment. After the break, we're going to be talking about the teams leading their respective divisions and how likely they are to win the title. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You weren't expecting that, were you, people? It's never me that does this part of the show. But it's a Jack Collins ranking this week. And so I get the luxury of being the host, the guy that just sits here and listens to what the other guy with all the wisdom has to say. And usually it is the guru wisdom, isn't it? We usually know that it's me that comes up with all the brilliant stuff and Jack that just sets it up. <laughs> but <laughs> are you sure you want me to carry on doing this, mate? But I'll save my guru wisdom for the third segment where I will talk some gibberish about life. Uh, and we will pass over to you, Jack, because you have been assessing all the top teams from across Europe and their chances, likelihoods of actually remaining there across the course of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to go through it in ascending order. So the team I think are least likely to win their league, going all the way up to the team that I think okay. are going to win it. And we're going to go through the top seven in Europe. I'm going to start with the Premier League and I'm going to start with Liverpool, who currently sit top of the league. I put Liverpool's league chances about 40%. And I think it's it's been an interesting couple of weeks. I think if you'd asked people a little bit further back, you would have probably said that Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester City were probably on a relatively level footing, I think. What the we've seen over this Christmas period and this festive period is that Liverpool have managed to dig out results and, and find results even when things have been a little bit more difficult in ways that someone like Arsenal, for example, hasn't. And... I think, therefore, they go in here about 40%. It feels low, and these are all going to be you know, ascending upwards. But equally, if we were saying that it was 33% and they were all relatively equal a couple of weeks ago, I think moving them up to 40 feels like around the right mark. Now, Liverpool are three points clear of Aston Villa in second. They are five points clear of Manchester City in third, but Manchester City have a game in hand. And they are five points clear of Arsenal currently in fourth. So there's a little bit of a gap opened up there between Liverpool and Arsenal uh, after Arsenal's two losses in a row. And it has been a moment that you kind of look at it and go, okay, Liverpool have found their feet. And we speak about this relatively regularly on our Patreon podcast when we're asked questions about Liverpool and the title race in that it feels a little bit like Liverpool are a year ahead of schedule. This team and this set up, especially in midfield that we saw back in August, felt like it was still a couple of players away from really challenging Manchester City for that title. Now, Arsenal had their year ahead of schedule last year, and this year it felt like they were kind of moving towards a more controlled direction emotionally, trying to not blitz everyone 4-3, but actually end up winning those games by a single goal, two goal margins and, and keep more clean sheets, which was probably the right direction of travel for that project. It hasn't been quite as fluid. It hasn't been quite right for Arsenal. But Liverpool are starting to click quite nicely. Now, we say this with the fact that Mohamed Salah is about to disappear for AFCON, and he's been, again, a huge part of the way that this Liverpool side attack, their most potent threat. So what that does in terms of this month 
is still up in the air. Whether players can step into that role, whether someone like Harvey Elliott can step up and, and become that player, or if it's Diego Jota who plays alongside Darwin with, with Cody Hakpo there in the middle. But I just feel like Liverpool feel a bit more in control than we used to. Now, they registered a Premier League record XG of 7.27 against Newcastle. Now, this Newcastle side is depleted at the moment. They are lacking defensive reinforcements. But it does show how committed to going forward this Jurgen Klopp edition of Liverpool is. Liverpool 2.0, as some people have been calling them, under Klopp. And I think that as we've progressed through the season, this team feels like it's growing into itself a little bit more. There are still a few question marks. I wonder what the midfield looks like in a big game against City, or we'll find out what they look what they play in that FA Cup tie against Arsenal in a couple of weeks. But what does this midfield structure look like when everybody's fit? Can they play this way for the entire season and beat the big boys? I think what we're seeing from Liverpool is that they now feel like the obvious title challengers to Manchester City, who still feel relatively inevitable, even with their little wobble. The fact that if they win their game in hand, they'll only be two points behind is ominous for everybody else. But I think that Liverpool have superseded Arsenal in the, the title, I say race, but I put it in inverted commas, we're not there yet. But in, in terms of putting themselves in a position to be in contention for that title. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so I agree with you that they are more likely to challenge Man City than Arsenal. Definitely agree with that. I have a slight problem with the 40% chance of winning the league because that means that if we were to play out this season from here 10 times, that Liverpool would win it four of those 10 times. I don't think that would happen. I just don't think that would happen because I don't think Man City would would allow it to happen enough times. I don't, And so this isn't really a detriment to Liverpool for me saying I don't think they have a 40% chance of winning the league. It's me looking at this and thinking, what chance is there that Man City give them a chance of winning the league? And I honestly, I'd probably rate this closer still to like 2025. Like I think I would be that harsh. And like I said, like Liverpool are doing all they can. They've only lost one game from twenty so say. far in the Premier League. Like that is really good. Like that is, and I'm so like, it's this very harsh criticism from me. But we'll find out more about them across the course of this month because they've got a really tough month. They've got to balance out two cup competitions, a difficult FA Cup game against Arsenal, uh, a double legged semi final of the Carabao Cup against Fulham, and they got a couple of Premier League matches as well at a time when Mo Salah is leaving them. And the one thing that you saw, look, it was a good, it was a convincing win over Newcastle when they won 4-2. Mo Salah was absolutely outstanding in the second half, right? And I still feel that even in a season like this, when people have begun to question whether his powers are fading, I still feel there is no, not enough backup to Salah in terms of the goal power. So when we used to have the old version of Liverpool and you had Firmino and Mane, you're always confident that when one folded, the other would step it up. And I'm not sure where that comes from now because but Darwin Nunes... Diogo Jota. Diogo Jota might be the answer. Like him coming, coming back and him having the impact he had off the bench uh, against Newcastle gives you that possibility. In Diaz and Nunes... Good footballers, can you rely on them when it gets down to the final 10 matches of the season, clawing every point that you can? I don't know. It, is, it has to be. I don't know. And I've got doubts about it. And I've also got doubts about the fragility of the Liverpool midfield and whether Curtis Jones is enough to ensure that that doesn't fall apart. Because he does feel like more and more of an important player is the glue the glue he actually has felt like that yeah and so i i'd be slightly wary of that one thing again i would say from a very positive point of view though is like i feel like virgil van dyke has been brilliant oh mate he's been absolutely superb and and so yeah if i was to end this optimistically for liverpool fans then i would say yeah look if you can get through this month and you're still Looking good. You've dealt with the Salah absence. No more injuries. 
Van Dyke's there too. Maybe there is a 40% chance, but right now, a little skeptical. I'm just, I think the reason I've got them maybe a little bit higher than, than others is that I think this City side is still flawed. I don't think this is a City side as good as the one last season. I don't think it's quite as clicked. And look, in the second half of the season, they might find that tactical tweak. Pep might find the answer. And we could be looking at a City side that go and win every game from here to the end of the season. But I think what we've seen so far doesn't suggest to me that they're closer to figuring it out. Now, last year they did figure it out. And the second half of the season was so good. But this year, I'm not quite sure. I think it's going to take a little bit more in terms of the tweaks just to make sure that everything is clicking perfectly. Now, obviously, Holland and KDB to come back in, that will make a difference. I'm not blind. But I just do think they're slightly more flawed than they were last year. And that probably just ups Liverpool's chances a little bit. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, I'm going to move on to Portugal very quickly. I'm going to go to the Primeira where I have Sporting at the top of the league. Well, everyone has sporting at the top of the league. I have their chances at around 41%. I've <laughs> given them the 1% jump on Liverpool. Now, sporting okay. are one point clear of Benfica in second and three points clear of Porto in third. And I think what's been really interesting about this sporting campaign is that it's been relatively quiet. It's been a little bit under the radar. There was a lot of noise around Benfica and the way that things panned out for them in the Champions League, where they looked absolutely dreadful for a while. They were sort of ticking through games a little bit more in the Primeira, but even then, not everything was was perfect. It felt like the results were kind of there, but the performances weren't quite. They've dropped a few points in the last couple of games. They've taken a couple of draws, but it's not been dreadful. Whereas... Sporting have lost twice in their last five. And yet, the big win over Porto that put them three points clear at the top of the league, 2-0, was a, a pretty wild game. Jokeres actually had Pepe on toast for, for most of it. And then Pepe got sent, himself sent off in, in the most you know, obvious way possible, just throwing someone on the floor. You're like, oh, he's still there. Still got it at 40 years old, still throwing people around. I think that Sporting feel like the most comfortable Team. I really like this new midfield pairing they've got of Morten Kuhlmann and Hidemas and Marita. They feel like a really good mix. Now, Marita's obviously going to head off now to the Asian Cup. It's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that, whether it's Pedro Gonzalez that drops a little bit deeper and opens that up for someone like Trincao to come back in. But I think the biggest obstacle to Sporting winning the league here is that I'm not sure how many of these players are still going to be here at the start of February. Oh. There's been discussion over... Usman Diamande, there's been discussion over Gonzalo Inacio. They've both been very, very impressive and important to the way that this team develops and, and kicks on. Now, there is backup. Obviously, Luis Neto is still in there. There are some other players that can, can drop into these areas. But I think that the main thing holding me back from putting them as kind of outright favourites, if you will, is the fact that this team feels like they could be one or two pieces away from from crumbling and those pieces are in high demand. Now, there's been some relief for sporting fans in that Jokerez has basically come out and been like, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay here. I'm loving life. And he's been brilliant. Yep. But I do worry if the big bids come in here in January, if they're going to be able to keep hold of a few more of these key pieces. Yeah, interesting. I mean, obviously you watch sporting way more than me, so I'll, I'll trust your 41% on this one, mate. But um, someone like Jokerez, like you you're not going to have him walking out on this project like this soon. And actually, what I'm told, Jocker is not that tempted in, in coming back to the Premier League uh, or coming to the Premier League, I should say. Um, this soon anyway, I think he'll he'll stay on the continent even when he does make the decision to leave Sporting. But it's a constant battle, isn't it, for clubs like Sporting to they unearth these players or they give them the platform to fulfil their potential. And a year later... They're trying to keep them uh, because they've gone through the ceiling of where you thought they might get to across the stage of that first season. So perhaps that's the situation we're in right now. Obviously, they've got... How many players have you got that could potentially leave? I mean, Ignacio, uh, Diamande. I think Ignacio and Diamande are the main two. They've been such yeah. a stalwart of this back line. And the back line is so important to the way that Amorim sets up. Basically, you know, that three at the back has been an absolute cornerstone of everything that he's done at this football club. But I do think that 
you know, in the summer, again, obviously this isn't kind of relevant for, for right now, but in the, in the summer, they lost, obviously, Polinia, they lost Mateusz Nunes, and suddenly you're like, oh, Hulman and Marita are going to be in demand because they've both been absolutely sensational. And yeah. it, it, that is, I suppose, the the conveyor belt. That is the the reinvestment. It needs to be right. But right now, I just feel like this side is really nicely balanced. And there are going to be... I think that considering that Benfica have been a little bit all over the place this season, considering how good they were last year, and that Porto feel like they're a step off where they've been in the last couple of years. Yeah, I still think Sporting are favourites, just about. But if they do lose one of these pieces, it could it could all come crumbling down like a house of cards. Yeah, OK, fair enough, mate. So 41% for them to go in the league, 40%. For Liverpool, is the next one going to be forty-two percent? No, we're jumping, and we're jumping to the the Bundesliga, mm. where we have Bayer Leverkusen, and I have them, and you're going to hate this at fifty-five percent. Why am I going to hate it? Well, I figured that they're ahead of Bayern Munich, who are inevitable in so many ways in the Bundesliga. Oh but yeah, Leverkusen are four points clear of Bayern at the top of the Bundesliga, although Bayern do have a game in hand. They're the only side in Europe's top seven to have gone unbeaten in all competitions since the start of this season. And on form, I think they're the most exciting team in Europe to watch. Their depth is also starting to shine through a little bit as well. And obviously watch that game against Bochum and Patrick Schick scored a brilliant hat-trick. He scored as well in the Europa League. It's a nice reminder that there's options outside of Victor Boniface, which should stand them in good stead as he heads off to AFCON. So... I think that sometimes you're looking at these teams and you're looking maybe at like a Stuttgart and at Jurassi and going, how on earth are they going to cope without him? Yes, Dennis and that's been good, but how are they going to cope without their main guy across the course of the next three, four weeks or however yeah. long he's away for? I don't feel quite like that with Leverkusen. I think Xabi Alonso, and we mentioned him earlier, has done a beautiful job in the timing of incorporating Schick into this side. Because now, as AFCON begins, it feels like Schick's like, I'm the main man. I scored a hat-trick in the last game. Of course, he wouldn't drop me yep. even if Boniface was here. But it doesn't yep. have that problem. So I think that what we're seeing from Leverkusen has been so impressive. They've been so much fun. Their fullbacks are maybe the most exciting duo in Europe in, in Grimaldo and, and Jeremy Frimpong. I don't think anyone's going to leave in January either. That's my. That's a, a big thing because I think that whilst there was interest in a lot of these Leverkusen players, the fact that they're top of the table here and the fact that they feel like they're part of a really cool, exciting project right now probably makes people go, hang on, if I'm going to leave, it's going to be in the summer. Florian Wirtz is back to his best. We're seeing some really, really good football from Leverkusen. So I'm going to give them the edge. I backed them in the 5 by 5 early on in the season to go and win the league. Obviously, there is historical context to think about in that Leverkusen are perennial bridesmaids rather than brides. And even when everything seems to be landing for them, you know, there's a famous year, obviously, they're top of the league and in two finals, and they bottle all three trophies, giving them the Leverkusen tag. But <laughs> there is just something about this side that feels like it maybe it's got more to it than fate. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't lose. So, I mean, that that is something that, that's um, in their own hands and something that they have to take credit for themselves and believe that they can build on it. Obviously, yeah, the reason that I'll be sceptical is that Bayern Munich just always come through. And that's something that I will continue to expect, even though Leverkusen are ripping it up. I mean, you just talked about those players. I mean, if, if you were to look at this season, like Florian Wurtz has just been ridiculous, like absolutely outstanding and probably the standout from that team from what I've seen. And at the back, you've got Kosanu who's been superb as well. And he's on a few teams' radars now as well. I mean, Jonathan Tarr's the the guy at the back that gets spoken about the most, but I don't think he's really had the edge on him. Um, and Granite Shaka, like what an addition he's been to that team, and like I, I think, you know, in a in a global sense, you know, he, he wouldn't have gone, he wouldn't be underrated if you if you watch Leverkusen. But if you don't know about the impact that he's had on that team, then you need to know that it's significant. Well, he's kind of Alonso's on pitch manager, right? And his experience in a team that has a lot of young stars in it is so important to the way that they play, but also to making sure that these players do believe they can get this over the line. It's one thing having a load of young stars, but you need to have people in there that are going to guide them 
through periods where things aren't quite as rosy. And Chaka feels like he's absolutely fulfilling that role right now. And I think that it's, yeah. it's really important to have players like that in there. Um, I just think that whilst there is obviously key players, you say there, Sunu's there. We've talked about Boniface already. He's going to be off. Tapsoba as well in terms of AFCON. But what you're looking at is players that step in. And Capier has been absolutely sensational. Stanisic came in on loan from Bayern Munich as playing in this sort of right centre-back role, which feels perfect for him in a three, because it was kind of unsure whether he's a right-back or a centre-back. Suddenly, on the right-hand side of a three, he looks really good. And I think the way that, that Alonso is, try, is starting to rotate this Leverkusen squad to keep people fresh and keep them alive through these different competitions feels really, really important right now. And I think that there are problems at Bayern too. And that in itself is probably just about enough to let me give Leverkusen the edge here. So yeah, I'm going to go 55%. It's pretty bold, mate. 55 is pretty bold. I mean, you've gone out. I would have, The max I could have gone is 50. I'd have said it's a 50-50 between them and Bayern. I don't think I could have given them the edge, but it's the Jack Collins show today. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's go on to La Liga where Real Madrid are top of the table on goal difference. I'm putting Real Madrid at 65%. Not high enough. Well, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> Let me explain. At their level on points for Girona, they're top of the table, but seven clear of Atleti and Barcelona in third and fourth. But Girona are great, and we've spent a lot of time extolling their virtues on, on this show. They're incredibly entertaining, but they definitely don't have the depth that Real do in terms of making this season stick if things get a little bit tricky towards the end of the campaign. The reason I haven't got Real Madrid higher in terms of the percentages here is that I wonder how they cope if Bellingham's scoring rate drops or if he gets injured for any sort of prolonged period of time. Like It's obviously been noted that Ancelotti's managing his minutes a little bit carefully. We've seen a little bit of that strapping that was a thing when he was at Dortmund. And whilst he's had obviously a break over this festive period, which would have done him the world of good, I imagine, I just... I just still a bit wary of how sustainable that goal scoring rate and model is and who steps up for them if it does dry up as a well a little bit. So I think that Real Madrid are probably odds on favourites to, to win the league at this point. And that gap and cushion over Atleti and Barcelona is really, really crucial to this because if Girona keep doing this, fantastic, but it will be a miracle and that's how it's going to go down. So trying to kind of guard against being like, well, they're under a level because how sustainable is their early season form? They have been brilliant. I think they're going to have a, a Champions League spot at the very least in this season. But have they got enough in the tank and the depth chart to challenge Real Madrid towards the end of the season? I mean, I suppose the counter to that is that they don't have Champions League football or European football to deal with and they'll have a lighter schedule than Real Madrid. But I still think you give Real the edge. But yeah, that goal scoring capacity and who steps into that breach if Bellingham does you know his form does drop off a little bit or he does get injured who steps into the breach not just in terms of numbers and, and performances but also in terms of that leadership role that he's almost inherited straight away in this team so that's the only reason they're not higher yeah okay that's a, that's all right I can I can see where you're coming from um important to point out obviously if you are listening to this on Wednesday uh Real Madrid play today against Mallorca or if you listen to it on Thursday or Friday they've ju they've just played so you can see how they have managed to continue um beyond this point in which we are talking but one thing that Ancelotti has said it ahead of that game um is interesting now because you point out the goals that could be a problem I've been worrying a little bit about the centre-back situation yeah, that's also an issue um and Ancelotti is adamant that they're not going to sign another centre-back as cover and says that they're going to be trusting uh, Rudiger and Nacho and says that Chouameni and Carvajal could be used there too in an emergency. Now, if we start to get to the situation where they're doing that, then I might be on side of you and questioning a little bit more as to whether Real Madrid can, can hold out. Uh, I've already revealed on Ranks FC that uh, Real Madrid do win the Champions League this season. So it's obviously <laughs> going to be a big, a big campaign if they also win La Liga. Um, but it's just the level of competition, mate. I think that that's the, that's the main reason. Like if this was any other season when Barcelona were a stronger version of themselves, then I would probably expect less that Real Madrid end up winning the title. But 
the fact that right now I would consider Atleti to probably be their biggest threat and they're seven points clear of them. Yeah. What percent did you say? 65? 65. Yeah, I mean, you're not far off. Yeah, I think that is that is probably fair, actually. I, probably, I couldn't... At push, I might go 70. But yeah, you're probably about right, mate. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take that. And, uh, we'll, <laughs> Little uh, smile on his face there. I just, I just Little smile. Don't worry. Oh, I got one right. Got one right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Going to go on to Serie A, where I have Inter at 75%. Mm. Inter are two points ahead of Juventus in second. And they've had two bad results in a row one in the cup, one in the league. But Inter still feel comfortably for me the best team in Italy right now. And we've spoken a lot about Juventus and they deserve credit for hanging in there, I think, in terms of this this title race and being behind Inter in a, in a, in a kind of place where you're going, how on earth are they just two points behind Inter considering the, the season they've had and the complaints from Juve fans across the board about the performances, but the results have continued to grind out. The thing is that I think Inter are just so much better than Juve right now. And that's my that's that's my big takeaway. I think if you watch these two sides play and you you and you say, oh, one of these teams is is only two points clear of the other, most people would be like, oh wow, they're very different. They have very different approaches to the way games are played. And I just think that over the second half of this season, Inter will continue to tick. Whereas I think that teams will start to grind Juve away. And look, I could be wrong. Juventus have a history of, of doing this, especially under Max Allegri and actually getting back to that top, top spot and, and winning trophies. But I just think that considering what feels like such a gulf in the talent of the two sides, that I can't see anyone but into winning the league. Although I do think that, you know, Juve should be given credit for where they are. It doesn't feel, you know, from, from what I'm watching, that the two teams are in the same ballpark. Yeah, I mean, this is difficult to argue with, um, despite the fact I have obviously tipped Juve to to win the league. Um, look, Juve have won Serie A 36 times, so that that pedigree's there. And if you look at the, the team that comes up next, of course, it's, it's Inter and AC Milan, both won 19 titles. So, you know, it's not like Inter don't know how to get this done. Juve traditionally have a better history of actually doing the job. But this current version of Juventus, we don't know, have the same guts to keep churning out these results. You know, we've we've seen them have some close scares this, this season already and some tight wins and some late escapes. And there's nothing particularly convincing about it all. You go back to 2020 for the last time that Juve won the league. Uh, and in the course of those last three seasons, when things haven't gone their way, it's been for all sorts of reasons. And I feel like some of them are still loitering. I still feel that there's probably trust issues from the fan base in this team as well right now. Whereas Inter, I do not get that feeling. Look at Inter Milan, back end of last season, got to the Champions League final, came close, very close to even winning the Champions League. Yeah. With a team that weren't as good as this one. Like that version of that team was not as good as this. What you see this season from Lautaro and Marcus Turam um, has taken this team in its own to a different level. But I think the team as in general has also improved. So while I'd like to believe for my own reasons that uh, Juve do win the league... Um, I obviously don't really care that much. I'm not an actual Juve fan, despite what people on this podcast will believe. Hey, you and, work for them. Yeah, you're right, mate. I mean, Inter do seem like the outstanding candidates right now to go on and win Serie A. Tejon Buchanan incoming as well, which is going to be interesting to see yes. how he fits into this setup. Yeah, I, I think that you can look at the, the Genoa game. And so from a week ago, people were like, Inter are dominating Serie A, it's done deal already. And then suddenly they dropped two points against Genoa and everyone's like, wow, Juventus are only two points behind them. They're breathing down their neck. And obviously you can have these kind of games. There was no Lautaro in that game. He's facing a, a race back for fitness for their next game against Telus Verona, I think as well. So lots to 
look at, but I'm pretty comfortable saying I think Inter are going to win Serie A this season. Um, which takes us on to Liga and PSG, who I'm putting at 95%. <laughs> PSG oh, haven't been perfect this season, right? And there's been some real wobbles of note, but they're still five points clear of Nice in second. And whilst they are inconsistent, the chasing pack share that inadequacy in more obvious ways, I think is, is probably the way I would put it. Yeah. It's... You know, PSG aren't perfect. They are a very good side, and I really enjoy this iteration of it. And I'm I'm enjoying watching them develop into a Luis Enrique side. I think it's very intriguing how they're dealing with different things. But I just don't see a world where they don't win Liga from here. Because whilst Nice have been really, really defensively solid, and whilst they've been really good and, and, and fun to, to kind of watch expand... They just don't fill me with very much confidence. And then, you you know, you have to go back to seven points behind them to get to Monaco. I just can't see anyone else basically having a five point, seven point better second half of the season than a PSG side who are growing under Luis Enrique. And I don't think they're ready to go and win the Champions League, etc. But I do think that they will win Liga this year. And I think that when you're talking about the depth of talent and the quality that they have in this side, it would be almost unbelievable for them not to go and, and, and take the title from this point. Yeah, I'd say I'd point to three reasons really around this one. So the reason, first of all, that PSG should be the outstanding favourites to, to win the league is that they've had to grow as a team and they haven't been the best version of themselves across the first 17 games of the season, yet they've only lost one match. And I would imagine that over the course of the second half of the season, we're going to see an ever-improving version of this PSG team. And that should cause quite a lot of panic and fear for the rest of this division. Uh, to look at the second reason, look at Nice in second. Look, yes, brilliant defensive record. Nine goals conceded. PSG, to be fair, have only conceded 14. But here's the big difference. PSG have scored 42 goals this season. Nice in second have scored 19 not even scoring at half the rate that PSG are. So they've got a... I enjoy that Lorient are in the relegation zone and they've scored more goals than second place Nice. <laughs> I mean, obviously this isn't what Nice are built on. Nice are getting narrow, literally one nil wins or nil nils. And, you know, they're, they're grinding through it and they've done brilliantly to get into this position. And it's a, a, a key factor why they don't want to lose Teribo in this, in this transfer window. And, you know, for Man United fans, you look at, this, by the way, is Jim Ratcliffe's other team. And if you're thinking, well, if they can get up to second in the league, maybe we have got a chance after all in the coming years because how have Nice got into this position? Um, if but Manchester don't United play the same way that Nice did, there would be riots at Old Trafford. <laughs> this isn't the Manchester United way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, like if you were to use the, the information we've got us right now, like Nice might score like what 38 goals or something across the course of a season so they, they might could score like, a bit more than that but it's yeah it's not it, much. like they might not even score in the rest of the season how many psg have got right now so like that's got to be some concern and then to take it another step further down to the third place monaco well monaco have already lost four of their 17 games and that leaves them seven points adrift of psg I'm not saying that you can't overcome something like that. Um, and it's definitely not like tragic it's not or impossible, anything. But it's not I, impossible. I just, I just and that's the team I would give believe. the best hope because I I think that they are building something pretty special at Monaco at the moment. And I, I you can see that it's a place that people want to be again. And there's you know their own transfer targets right now. You know, for example, Tosin at, at Fulham has been quite keen, I'm told, to go and join Monaco. And you think, well, they must have a really have something going on there if players from the Premier League are starting to think, oh, yeah, I quite fancy that. Uh, chasing PSG's tail all season. Well, yeah, I'll go and have a bit of that. Um, I think Kerr joining them too, isn't he? From, yeah, it looks like it. From West Ham. So, you know, they are going to look to strengthen in the second half of the season. But again, like, they're just not going to catch him. So, absolutely. I mean, you've probably been kind to say 95%. Well, I've, I've, there's, there's, one the team, there's one team I've given a higher percentage uh, and I'm going to take us to the Eredivisie finally where I have PSV Eindhoven 
at 99.9%. <laughs> well, it should be 100 because you said it was in the bag. It is in the bag. But, you know, it just feels it feels wrong to put anything at 100%, doesn't it? So played 16, won 16, 48 points, 10 points clear of Feyenoord in second. They've conceded six goals in those 16 mm. matches and they've scored 56. They're averaging three and a half goals scored a game and they're conceding less than one in every two games. It's stunning. It's an absolute masterclass. De Jong and Pepe are a really nice rotation up top. They're both scoring freely, but the goals are shared around the team as well. Tillman feels unplayable at times. Johan Bakayoko is having the most incredible breakout season. And what I really like at the moment is these three rotating eights that they use, especially against lesser opposition, in inverted commas. They're dominating games through the middle, and the three of them are just interchange at will. Uh, three of, of four players have been Saibari, Yoi Veerman, Gustil and and Jorby Vitessen all in there. They're causing havoc. Like nobody can deal with the rotations that they are putting together in this midfield. And you know, the last time out, they beat RZ Alkmaar 4 0. And RZ have been good. <laughs> They've been good for the last couple of years. They're fourth in the table. They're only, you know, a couple of points off final in second. And PSV just absolutely obliterated them. They have the depth across the pitch. They've got the freedom of the manager to go out and really try and punish teams. They feel so well put together. They're set-piece dominant. PSV are so complete. And they're miles ahead, I think, of everybody else in the Eredivisie. They've beaten all their rivals. They're showing no signs of slowing down. I think they're more likely to win every single game this season than to somehow give up the title. That's a lock. Have that. It's a lock. Imagine they end the season with a 100% record. I think that's more likely them than not winning the title. <laughs> They've conceded six goals in 16 games, um, scored 56 along the way. They're 10 points clear. There's absolutely no way that this team is not going to win the league. No, done. They had to go top. They've been so, <laughs> so impressive in the Eredivisie. It's like, it's it's a joke how good they've been. So, mm-hmm. uh, shouts out to PSV Eindhoven. It's been it's been phenomenal to Very good. Very there. good. And that's it. That's it from me. There's your seven in order nice. of how likely they are to win the title. Love it, mate. Right. Well, back to hosting duties, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back after the break to do Guru Wisdom. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC in part three, where we're doing Guru Wisdom. So over to Dylan and Reese Jones. Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom. (laughs) Oh dear. They love doing that. They love Um, doing that. It's great. It's great fun. It's easier to record than I thought as well. Their next aim, and if you want to get on the Patreon, by the way, then this is going to be the best selling point I can offer. They want to do a podcast together. They want to do an episode (laughs) where they talk about football and I did a little practice the other day um and just recorded on like uh, whatever the basic thing is on on my computer and just let them do it and I was like that actually wasn't the worst thing in the world that was quite funny and entertaining and if I kind of mediate this it might be it might be mildly entertaining for five to ten minutes I'm no not even ten minutes I cannot get ten minutes out of them seven minute episode of ranks fc over on the patreon coming at ranks, some point ranks fc junior ranks yes. fc juniors dylan thinks his job is going to be on this podcast he has no is. intention of getting a real job he just says he's going to work on ranks fc that's it um and reese says he wants to be a grandma who works in a pub so i'm not sure how his career is going to go but um <laughs> he's Phenomenal. Yeah, that's the go. sort of insight you're going to get uh, once I get that off. At least you watch all the games, eh? But yeah, honestly, honestly, this is uh, this is the world I now live on. Come over to Patreon. We have a lot of fun, and we'll be having even more if that show gets up and running. Uh, this show on Guru Wisdom, I've decided to help you all with a bit of planning for for 2024. It's obviously a new year, new challenges. And the first challenge that we're going to have is the weather. Um, For most of us anyway, not everybody lives in a place that gets miserable and dark and cold over the months of January, February and summer, March. Um, But we do. And and I know that May, June, July. (laughs) Exactly, mate. Exactly. And you might have even heard during the course of this podcast, the wind literally ripping past our windows. Like 
I'm not exaggerating to say that wheelie bins have been flying down the road over the course of the last hour. Taylor's been messaging me while we've been recording saying that stuff is flying around the garden. There's some astroturf gone flying against the back window uh, in the kitchen. Pylons are down in London. It's all going off. Oh, mate, it's havoc. So anyway, this works out pretty well because I was going to talk about this anyway. And I think, particularly as men, we tend to ignore very simple things that could make us much more comfortable. Now, this could actually come in handy for you, mate, because I know you mentioned to me before we came on air that you thinking of venturing out of your house later today which doesn't seem a great idea to be honest because the weather is horrendous and it seems like there's some sort of storm going on um but here are some suggestions that will make your experience a little bit easier and for a lot of the world this might seem basic and straightforward but i certainly ignored this for a lot of my life this is what you do when the weather starts to turn cold right you wear gloves you wear a scarf, you wear a hat, you put on an extra pair of socks, and if you can, you stick on a pair of tights. This is game-changing advice, mate. Yeah, I love. I do like a pair of, uh, of technicals under my jeans. Yeah, well, this is the thing. These items of clothing will significantly improve your outdoor experience all year round. This sounds like an ad that I have to record, but it's not. Um, and if any if any tights companies <laughs> want to sponsor Ranks FC, get in touch. Hundred percent. Like. I think that men under what age? Under 35 consistently ignore this advice. I reckon I didn't start wrapping up until I was about 35. I can remember in my 20s, I would never take a coat. On a night out, never yeah. take a coat. It was just, I just looked at it as hassle. It is hassle. I didn't realize, though, in between how much time I would actually spend outside, shivering, numb hands that have gone white like stiff back from being stood rigid and it's all so unnecessary like i get it like on a night out it is annoying to have all of this stuff because you've got to find somewhere to keep it all but chances are people you just stick it in a dark corner no one nicks your coat anyway um tights are the I've game changer so many coats stolen <laughs> did you i've never had a coat stolen i mean every in durham it was too cold so uh, it was too no. cold to actually not wear coats and all the things just had a rack and you put your coat on it and you'd be like you come back and it'd be gone. Like, Maybe I've oh. been really lucky. Even at gigs in the last five years or so, I've been to ones that like, say, Brixton, like big place. And like the queue at Brixton for the cloakroom is a nightmare. It's massive. And so I just find somewhere, I just throw it in the corner. I don't take my best coat, obviously. Gets nicked, it gets nicked. But it's never got nicked. Maybe it's because it's such a bad coat. But get tights are the game changer. And not enough men uh, have embraced tights. I've even worn Taylor's actual tights. Uh, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. They, they just don't have do, to be a... Pe- why should women that say that's an exclusive article for them? No, no. no. I don't think Not they do. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I just meant why should this be like marketed as a thing that is... And it has been throughout time as a women's type of clothing. You wear them when you go skiing, don't you? So... Mate, I got some of those Nike leggings recently. Um, lovely. Yeah, incredibly warm. Great stuff. Incredibly warm. Well, I'll tell you what, I had someone, when I saw you the other day, Fulham game, had him on under my jeans, mate. Two pairs of socks. It wasn't even that cold, actually. I've got a bit, I've even got a bit hot. Um, Right, should we move on to the next thing? Yeah, let's. (laughs) Set your days out ahead of time. (laughs) Forward planning will make your life easier. When did you start doing this? This year? Last year? Last year. One year ago, I reckon. I didn't realize how much it makes a difference to not just like try and remember everything in your head. All you need is in your notes on your phone, you just list out what you've got to do the next day. And then before you go to bed, you haven't got to think about it anymore. Like it's already down and you've like, you deal with the stress of that. Today, for example, this is what I had written down. 8.30, take kids to mums. Nine o'clock, record video for William Hill. 9.30, Ranks FC Patreon show. 10.45, Meeting, 11.30, give me sport chat. One o'clock, chasing green arrows. Two o'clock, write transfer article. Three o'clock, a ranks podcast with Jack. 4.30, what's the time now? Pick up the kids. I've got 15 minutes to pick up the kids. <laughs> See, I wouldn't have known that, mate. I just forgot to pick my kids up. If they were your mum, I think it'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> they would have survived because they are with my mum. But yeah, mate, this, this really has simplified my life. Um, I know that it's... Uh, 
something that a lot of people have been doing since the beginning of time. But I haven't. And I reckon there's loads of other people out there who haven't embraced this yet. And it's like the tights thing. Just do it. Make your life easier. Do you make notes? Do you plan your days? No. No. <laughs> of course I don't. I, I, I'm a whim of the, uh, go on the whim kind of person. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I do tend to get my stuff done though, but I do, I do appreciate that sometimes when I have a really busy day, I make a little tick box list of stuff that oh, I know right. I need to do, but it's yeah. usually during the day to be like, Oh God, please don't let me forget that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Try and do it the night before. Just do it. I, I've literally have a little note every morning, every night, sorry, I, I change it, update it, make sure I don't, even like if I've got a transfer story, I, I think, Oh yeah, I could, why don't I try and chase up something with him? Quick little note in there. Message will go out first thing in the morning. See if I can get an update on his situation. Lovely stuff. Fantastic. Right. What's three? The next one is something I need to embrace more myself across the course of 2024. Book yourself a treat, right? <laughs> I notice, like, maybe it's just me because I've got kids and I'm older than you lot. But since lockdown, really don't see as much of people as I used to and don't do anywhere near as much interesting stuff as I used to before all that nonsense kicked in. And a few weeks back, I had a curry night coming up with the lads. They're not even my mates. They're just some like random dads from the town. And I know one of the dads. And like, it'd been in, he's like, oh, we're having one of those dads nights. I was like, brilliant. I'll stick it in. And for three weeks, I was looking forward to this curry with people I barely know. And I was like, that was really good to look forward to. I had a good night with those lads and dads. They, that was quite That was quite fun. Like, they're not that old. They're all in their 30s. It's not like I'm sat there with like 60-year-old men or something. But I was... Today, as I was drawing this up, I thought, yeah, that, what else do I like to look forward to? And at that exact moment, I just booked my tickets for Fulham versus Liverpool, which is in like three weeks' time. And I thought, you know what? That gave me a real little piece of satisfaction knowing that in a few weeks' time, I've potentially got one of the best nights of my life to look forward to there. Obviously, it might not turn out that way, but it's nice to just in the back of my mind know that I've got that coming up. So whether it's football tickets, maybe it's a, a little trip to the cinema, a night out with mates, trip somewhere with your partner, full-blown holiday. I think we should all try to just make sure we have a little event in sight at all times to just keep us going, keep us motivating. It doesn't have to be super expensive or anything like that. Like, don't add any extra stress to your life, but just plan something that you've got to really look forward to. So that during these rubbish, day, like this stormy day that we're having today and like a busy day at work, think, oh yeah, but I've got that Liverpool game to look forward to. But me and Tay got a spa day coming up in like Oh, that's February. a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Embrace spa days. That's, spa that's a great, day. great bit I mean, of advice. I think we've only ever had one spa day, but my mum got me a voucher for Christmas. Champneys. Nice. I looked it up. I was like, it's going to be lovely. Yeah, really Absolutely nice. lovely. Someone's going to give me a massage. I'm going to spend a night in a hotel with no kids and I can eat without anyone disturbing me. It's going to be like the best day of my life. Is it in January? Because there's someone going to definitely be disturbing you. <laughs> me ringing you up being like, can you check on this player for Fulham, please? It's definitely not in January. I'm not going away this month. It'll be in February or March. But um, yeah, treat yourself, people. Give yourself a little something to look forward to. Yeah. Mine's my skincare routine class oh every yeah night. skincare it's my, my new resolution get better yeah. at using my skincare routine moisturize people it is a game changer from your 30s onwards i promise 100 100 full-blown 15 minute routine going on here it's all great Mate, it's exciting. great i love it's it great. it's my 15 minutes out of my I don't day know if I, got 50, I don't think i use do 15 minutes but i do use moisturizer and stuff like that now Perfect. Well, there you go. There's your guru wisdom for the day. And on that bombshell, I think we're probably going to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our guru, Mr. Dean Jones. <laughs> you have to end it there because I've got that note. I've got to pick up my kids. So I'll see you later. <laughs> I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor of Arts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really, really do appreciate it. And please do share this with any of your football-loving mates who you thought might enjoy this podcast it's really important for helping us to grow throughout 2024 happy new year rank squad we will see you very shortly take it easy gang peace final seconds of the game a chance to score and the chance has gone begging if your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities get the mvp you deserve get shopify 
Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 